Turn Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. This is part 2 of the message. I gave part 1 this morning. And if you happen to miss that, you can get on our Facebook page and uh, just go down a couple messages and you'll see the Sunday morning message. Uh, And I titled it, I was going to title it, What's Wrong with the Church? But I, I changed that title to The Amazing Goodness of the Church. And I did that on purpose because when you think what Jesus recruited to make up his church, it's amazing anything good could come out of it, and that's only the Lord. You'll notice beginning in verse 9 of chapter 9 of the book of Matthew, and as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, Follow me, and he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Whenever you look at a bona fide church, now there are a lot of things called church and aren't church. Uh, you, they they got to be born again in order to be a church. I mean, that's all there is to it. And the person may, may wiggle their way into the church still lost. They have to lie to us in order to do that. That's a tear among the wheat. That person is put in there by the devil. Uh, it's that, that person is not God. You're, you don't belong to God just because you go to a church or because you're a member of a church. You must be born again. But here's the point. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said that this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save what? Now, what's he looking for? He's looking for sinners. He has chosen the foolish things and the base things that confound the wise and to confound the mighty. It's amazing what we're looking at here. Matter of fact, Paul said of himself in that verse, uh, when he said Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, he went on to say, of whom I am chief. He had a different attitude about himself than a lot of church people do today. I mean, a lot of church people today think, hey, they're pretty good. They're pretty spiritual. It's the other people. It's just like the drivers on the road. If it wasn't for these other drivers on the road, uh, it'd be fine. One for these other people. These other people. Man, church would be just fine. You know, never get your feelings hurt in, in the right kind of church. No, you'll get your feelings hurt in church. By the way, you hang out at Walmart long enough, you'll get your feelings hurt at Walmart. I mean, you drive the streets of Huntsville, you'll get your feelings hurt and your car banged in. You drive long enough and something's going to happen. You're not going to like it. You're going to have the jerks and the idiots, you know, come by. And they're going to cut you off. And they're going to, you become member of some club or some organization. People in there are going to hurt your feelings. You can't just tune out from society because everything doesn't go well. But it's an amazing thing. People get their feelings hurt. Sometimes it's on purpose. Sometimes people didn't mean to hurt their feelings, but they just got them hurt anyway, and they carry a grudge. And they talk about if one person hurts their feelings, 
They'll run down the entire church. The entire church is bad. Some preacher hurts their feelings. And that church down there, uh, man, they get on Google and on their Facebook page and they'll give reviews of uh, how, what a horrible church it is. As a matter of fact, it offends people that we have standards. We don't have to say anything to them. We don't have to get personal to them. We don't have to have to go to them individually and say, uh, you shouldn't dress this way. You shouldn't go to the movies. You shouldn't uh, listen to the rock music. We don't have to say anything to them. And they're already mad at us because they don't like the standards. Therefore, we got to be bad because there are things that we believe Christians shouldn't do. People get their feelings hurt all the time. Now, sometimes people will hurt them on purpose. I didn't use this example this morning, but it reminds me of David when David was being run off the throne by his own son, Absalom. And you'll remember Shimei came out and started cursing David. And when he was doing that, one of Joab's brothers said to David, let me go over and take off that dead dog's head. He said, what am I to do with you sons of Zeruiah? What if God told him to curse David? Should I have him killed for doing what God told him to do. Man, what an attitude. What a right attitude that was, by the way. I, I mean, after all, what David was basically saying was this. Maybe God decided I just needed a good cussing. Maybe when you get your feelings hurt next time, maybe God had decided you've been walking too high and mighty and you just needed to be brought down a little bit. And he chose one of his other people to do it. Why get mad at that other person? Why not just go ahead and give it to prayer? Now listen, I'm not talking about somebody uh, hitting you with their car on purpose. I mean, after all, somebody uh, commits an assault on you or, or does something horrible to injure you or your family, there's laws to deal with that kind of stuff. That's one thing. But it's another thing to get mad at the church and quit the church. Understand, there's not a perfect person in any church that's in this world. All of them, if they're saved, are simply sinners saved by the grace of God. On top of that, we've got this flesh that cumbers us about. Plus, we're all in different stages of spiritual growth. I mean, some are backsliding, actually. There are some Christians that are going through some hard things, and when people go through hard things, they get short-tempered and they say things. And so you're going to get mad at them because they frowned at you or because they snapped at you. It's time God's people start growing up and realize that there are some ways that they can combat this in a spiritual way that will help them to become mature. Unfortunately, too many people think church is, it's supposed to be all about me. Everybody's supposed to treat me nice all the time. Every, nobody's supposed to do me wrong in any way. Well, when it happens, how are you going to deal with it if you're going to become a mature Christian? You'll remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the apostle Paul wrote to them and they were divided church and he said, for you are yet carnal for whereas there is among you envying and strife and division, are ye not carnal and walk as men? You read that entire book. That was a messed up church at Corinth and he gives them truth to straighten them out. What he doesn't do is tell them to look for another one. He doesn't say, go out and start another church where everybody will be perfect. 
I mean, after all, you had the, church, the churches of Galatia. They were so eager to even listen to heresy. What a mess they were in. And he rebukes them. He rebukes them and tells them they need to get right about that thing in the book of Galatians. So what should we do? How should we respond when things aren't going like we like them? I'll be honest with you. When I surrendered to preach, there are things that they never told me. At my home church where I got saved, I mean, I was happy as a pig in mud at, at my home church where I got born again, First Baptist Church in Otsego. I mean, it was, I was just excited about being saved. I was clueless about a lot of things because I wasn't brought up in a church home uh, at all. And when I surrendered to preach, I thought, man, I know the world will probably hate me, but hey, God's people will appreciate it that I'm preaching the word of God. And one of the biggest shocks that I have in life is the fact that there are so many people who I don't have any reason to doubt that they have salvation who absolutely hate my guts. And all I've tried to do is be faithful to preaching the word of God. I, I never expected that. Nobody ever warned me about that. I had to go through it. As a matter of fact, as a preacher, as much gossiping as what people do, they do a lot about preachers backbiting and whispering, they'll do a lot of that about preachers. By the way, preachers will do a lot of that about people too. So uh, we got the same thing in us that people got in, in themselves. Uh, how in the world are you going to respond to that? I mean, some preachers can't ever stay any place anywhere because people keep hurting their feelings or somebody does them wrong. Well, God gives us how we're supposed to act about this stuff so that we can be what we ought to be and be a help to others. You say, well, what's the point if people are going to talk about me or they're going to write bad things about me or they're going to be mean to me and I don't think I deserve that. Uh, I, I need to go just someplace else. Yeah, and you'll be running all of your life because you'll find the same people, different faces, different names in different churches because we all have similar problems. You say, well, what's the point then of even going to church? Well, it is the body of Christ. And it is the bride of Christ, according to the scripture. It is really for, uh, this, this is not a biblical term, but it is the support group for believers. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And the reason that we're to be faithful, he says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do you realize what goes on here is supposed to be about the glory of God? And when I get treated in a way that I don't believe I deserved or I don't believe is right, somebody did it, my response should be such as to, as to be a response where Christ is glorified. How can I glorify Christ in this? In Ephesians 4.32, after telling us, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking uh, be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You say, but preacher, that still doesn't give me the answer to the question. When I, people have hurt me, when folks have hurt me, how in the world am I going to deal with it? Uh, here they are, five things. Ready? Number one, draw close to the Lord. 
draw close to the Lord. No, no, we want to sit and nurse our hurts. We want to sit and let other people know that we've been hurt. We'd rather complain than we would draw close to the Lord. There are going to be hurts in life. Draw close to the Lord. Draw close to the Lord. Turn over to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, and I want you to notice the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul lets us know earlier in chapter 1, he lets us know that there were people in Rome. Here he is. He's imprisoned. He's not free to walk about like he'd like to walk about. Now, he's been saved for a while, and he's got people in Rome who were only preaching so that they could say some, some things about Paul to add to his bonds. And he says, nevertheless, I rejoice in that Christ is preached. Well, here's the heart that he had in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Scripture says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but none that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now look at this. Here's drawing close to the Lord. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable Unto his what? Unto his death. Do you realize when those hurts come, maybe it is the opportunity that God's trying to get your attention to draw close to him. Don't face it on your own. Draw close to him. Do you realize what Jesus went through to even purchase your salvation? Do you realize the hurt that he went through? Not just the physical pain, but to have his creation and people that he came to save who mocked him, who beat him, who jeered him. Listen, he went through all that for you and you can't take somebody hurting your feelings for him and use that as a reminder to draw close to him. Now do that, you're going to have to get in the book. You're going to have to read his word. Psalms is a good place to be. Proverbs is a good place to be. Just start reading. Read what Christ went through in the gospel accounts, and he went through that for you. And I'm sure that you've been a perfect Christian all of your life, but he still went through it anyway for you. You know, Jesus not only knew when he died on the cross everything that I would ever do. He knew all of my sin, but he died on the cross for me. But here's the amazing thing to me. He knew every time I'd fail him as a Christian. He knew every time I'd say something I shouldn't say. He knew every time that I would do something that might hurt somebody else. Now, you've heard me say this before. The one thing that I absolutely hate about being a pastor. Man, this is the one thing that I hate about being a pastor. Don't misunderstand me. I'm glad that God called me to preach. I'm glad that God made me a pastor. But the one thing I hate about being a pastor is that I cannot make a mistake without hurting somebody. 
Every mistake, I, if I lose my temper, say something I shouldn't say, be unkind to somebody because I wasn't controlling myself in my walk with God at that time, there are other people who will then look down on me because, well, what kind of pastor is he? He's a human pastor. That's what he is. But I hate it that I can't make a mistake without hurting other people. That's reality. So what, what should I do? I need to draw close to the Lord. And I pray that those who have been hurt, by the way, sometimes I do it exactly right and they get hurt. Sometimes I say exactly the right thing that they need to hear and they think I'm being unkind, but they need to hear it. I remember one time we, we had a lady, man, who was just always, I mean always, 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 whining and moaning about what had happened to one of her children. And, uh, and, and you know, I, I can sympathize. I can, I can sympathize with the loss of a child. I, I can't imagine myself anything that would hurt greater than to lose a child. But one day, I, I, one day, she said, she said, you know, this just isn't right. She was such a good Christian girl. Now, normally I'm pretty good at holding back. I said to her, I said, no, she wasn't. What? She wasn't a good Christian girl. She wasn't living for God. She wasn't faithful to the house of God. She wasn't allowing her life to count for God. Now, it's a terrible thing that happened to her. But no, she wasn't a good Christian girl. I got news for you. Not only do bad things happen to good people, but bad things happen to bad people. Do you understand that? That's reality. I was trying to get her to understand God's mercy and God's grace. Uh, and yes, bad things are going to happen to good people and they're going to happen to people that want nothing to do with God. And this young lady's life was one that showed she didn't really want anything to do with God. Not because, she wasn't, not because the girl wasn't a member of our church. That wasn't it. I knew who she was. I knew what she did. I knew the things that she did. Now, some of you are looking at me, Pastor, I can't believe you said that. I know that's so out of character for me. But it needed to be said. It's not like God treated her unfairly. He didn't. The reality is if we all got what we deserved, we'd be in a mess all the time. All of us. That's reality. So what do you do? You draw close to the Lord. I've been reading lately in the book of Exodus in my daily devotions. Right now I'm in Exodus, Matthew, and 2 Corinthians. And uh, I, I, it was interesting. Here they've gotten out of the land of Egypt. Within three days of getting out of the land of Egypt, the people are murmuring against Moses and against Aaron. Now, I think already in dealing with the, those people that when things didn't go like they liked it, they were always mad at Moses and Aaron. It was God who was going to deliver them. They didn't get mad at Pharaoh. And I think they probably had a fear of the Lord, so they, 
they didn't get mad at the Lord. But here's Moses and Aaron trying to get them delivered. They're taking the risk of going up against the most powerful king at that time in the known world. And they're murmuring against them. They're putting their lives on the line. And then when three days after that, they're murmuring again. And then they're murmuring because they don't like the food. Later, when God starts giving them the manna, number one, they don't follow the directions that God told them that they were only to take what they needed. They were not to take more to save it for the next day because if they did, it would rot. And that's exactly what happened. And then they were to take twice as much on the Sabbath day, uh, uh, on the day before the Sabbath. And that way they'd have it left over for the Sabbath. And that day it wouldn't rot. And yet the next Sabbath day, there were people down there on the Sabbath day when they weren't supposed to be working trying to get them. And as soon as it's not long, we find them complaining about the food that God was giving them for free. But they're not complaining about God. They go and complain to Moses and to Aaron. But we don't find Moses saying, well, I'm just going to quit. These bunch of rebels. He does call them rebels in a couple places, but he doesn't quit. He stayed right with it. What do you do when Christians don't treat you right? Draw close to the Lord because it's not about us. It is about Jesus. Number two, determine your goal. Is your goal to be loved and appreciated? Is your goal not to have anybody offend you or not to have anybody have anything against you? You realize people have something against you just because you've got something they don't have. That's people. People are envious and they're jealous like that. That's the way they are. They've got a problem. When that problem is directed toward you, well, hey, they don't have time to direct it towards somebody else. Praise God for it. But you determine your goal in life. You're still in Philippians chapter 3. Look at verse 13. Paul says this, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind And reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. Determine your goal that you're going to be faithful to God. Now, some of you who've been been here for a while, you've heard me say this many times. There is a passage in the book of Ezekiel that changed and settled my whole outlook on being a pastor. I mean, nobody likes to have things said about them. Nobody likes to have gossip about them, anything like that. Uh, Preacher, how how do you deal with that? I mean, I've heard preachers get up and say, well, bless God, if you don't like this, there's the door. It swings both ways. You can can leave. That's fine. I don't say that. It it hurts me. I feel like I failed the Lord when I lose somebody. But over in Ezekiel chapter 34, go ahead and turn there. God used this passage to really help me see some things I trust through his eyes. 
You'll notice, and by the way, there is a five-fold curse on the shepherds of Israel. You know, shepherd and pastor, two words that mean the same thing. Notice it says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flocks. Ye eat the fat, ye clothe you with the wool, ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. Now here it is. Here's the fivefold, uh, fivefold charge that God had against the shepherds of Israel. He says, The diseased have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which was sick, neither have ye bound up that which was broken, neither have ye brought again that which was driven away. Neither have ye sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have ye ruled them. Now, obviously, the term shepherd here is one that is being used of people who have a responsibility to people. Like a pastor has responsibility to people, as mentioned in Ephesians, or Hebrews chapter 13 and verses 7 and 17. But I want you to notice here, here it is. He says, number one, the disease, if ye not strengthened. As I was reading that one day, that helped me to understand something. Now, we have had over the years, we have had people who've gotten cancer or something to where they get so down, they're not going to get well. They're going to die. They've just got a few days to live. And hospice will come in. Matter of fact, hospice only comes in when somebody, and this is the way I understand it, this is what I've heard many, many times, and that's how I've heard hospice themselves explain it, that they will not take over the care of a person if they're trying to keep them alive. They won't do it. You say, well, what's the purpose if they're not going to try to keep them alive? They're there to during the time that they are alive to comfort them and strengthen them. And they do an excellent job at that. And basically, you know, when hospice care is called in, it's just a matter of time. And it made me realize, you know, I was thinking about that. You know, there are people that God has called me to pastor that are never going to get with the program. There are people that God has called me to pastor that don't like me, that don't agree with me. They're never going to agree with me on, it, on some very important things. But God's called me to be their pastor and it's as much my responsibility to pastor them as it is those that love my preaching, those that agree with the program, those that want the program. You say, preacher, why would people come if they don't like you and they don't like the program and they don't like your preaching and they think you're too loud? I don't know why, but they do. And as long as they do, I'm going to answer to God for what kind of a pastor I am to them. Now, they may end up leaving. That may end up happening before the end. But it's not going to be because with force and cruelty, I ruled over them. I'm responsible for them as long as I'm their pastor. And then he makes this statement. He says, neither have he healed that which was sick. Now, that's interesting. There are the diseased. 
They're not going to live long. We have to strengthen them. But then there are the sick, and sometimes it is hard to tell the difference. But nevertheless, these people are sick, and they need to be healed. And that's going to take a while. Now, we've had a number of cases lately where on our prayer chain, people have called in requests for loved ones that have had to go to the hospital or having surgery for uh, cancer or tumors or different things. And we're hoping for healing. We are praying for healing. And because of their situation, of course, the whole family or much of the family has to stop everything that they're doing to give a lot of time for those people in hopes of their getting well. Why do we do that? Because we love them. And if there's a chance of that, them getting well, if we can have a part in that, we want to have a part in that. Well, there are some people that, yeah, all right, right now they can't do too much for the Lord. But if spiritually speaking through the preaching of the word of God and showing love to them, we can be a help to them, maybe. We can have a part in reclaiming them. It's kind of like a vessel that's been marred in the pastor in the potter's hand. And we have a part in making it over again, being used of the Lord. And then the third thing he says here, he says, uh, neither have he bound up that which is broken. There are some that are not sick, they're just broken. There are things that happen in life that just beat you down. And sometimes people just sit, and man, they need someone just to love them. They need someone to help them. They're broken. And the pastor has the responsibility of trying to help broken people. Matter of fact, as a church, we have a responsibility to try to help broken people to get them mended. You've heard me tell the story about our, our one dog, Cricket. All of our dogs have their names always begin with a K, except the first one. The first one was a little chihuahua, and that, and that was my wife's dog when we got married. It was named Pepe Le Pew. Never cared for the name. <laughs> Didn't mind the dog much. But our next dog was a mutt, named it Cricket with a K. So from that time on, all of our dogs with a K. We were so excited about that, we even named our daughters with K. So there you go. But I had taught that dog, Cricket, I had taught that dog to catch Frisbees. I like to go out in the backyard and throw Frisbees and it jump up in the air, catch it, bring it back to me all excited, wagging its tail, and uh, I'd throw it again. We had a good time. Well, one day when we were living in Chattanooga, um, because I was going to school, studying there at Tennessee Temple University, I, I threw the Frisbee and the wind caught it and carried it out of my yard and into the street right beside my house. And the dog's trying to pick up the Frisbee in the road, and it couldn't pick it up, couldn't get its tooth underneath it. I saw a pickup truck coming down the road. It wasn't going very fast. I am calling for that dog to come to me, come to me. I went running over to try to, try to just grab it and carry it away from the road. They were hauling a piano in the back of the pickup truck. And they got closer to it. I couldn't get the dog to move. I hadn't gotten to it yet. And I'm yelling. And they ran over my dog's head. 
Matter of fact, it seemed like they put on the brake right when they got to my dog's head. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I'm seeing it with my eyes. I wanted to reach up there in that truck, grab that driver and pull him out the window, but I couldn't because after the tire got over my dog's head, the dog took off yelping. I had to run, I had to run and catch my dog. So I went running after my dog. Ooh, I want to, ooh. And I, mm, but I was running after my dog. I finally caught my dog. And when I picked her up, she bit me. Now, I don't think she bit me because I didn't throw the Frisbee right. I'll tell you why she bit me. She bit me because she was hurting Do you realize some people will talk to you in a way that hurts your feelings and the only reason they're doing it is because they are hurting. And it's amazing how many church members will hold a grudge for the next 15 years because somebody who was hurting bit them. There are people who are broken. Who, yes, they get upset. They'll say some things about the church. They'll say, say some things about a particular ministry of the church. Well, good night. Maybe they're just broken. And we need to go ahead and love them anyway. And the pastor needs to love them as well. Well, I'm, I could spend a long time preaching a message just on this, but he says uh, in the next one, he says, Neither have you brought again that which was driven away. Now, some people just leave, but some people, unfortunately, in churches are driven away. That pastor has a responsibility to try to get them back. And then he says, last of all, neither have ye sought that which is lost. But he says, but with force and with cruelty, you have ruled them. Now, it's amazing the way God words this. He says, and they were scattered. That's his sheep. They were scattered because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. He pronounces a curse against these shepherds because his sheep were scattered by the very people that should have been the shepherds to care for the sheep. And they didn't do it. I tell you, when I got a hold of that passage, it changed my whole outlook. Or I should say altered my whole outlook on how I looked at people that he's given me the privilege to pastor. I'm not mad at him. Some people are just diseased. Some people are sick, and I need to spiritually have a part in their healing. Some people are just broken, and they need someone called alongside who can help them in their brokenness. And then I have a responsibility to those that have been driven away. Christians can say hurtful and careless things to other people. And about other people. And yes, sometimes they do get driven away. But it gets down to this thing. You need to determine your goal. Is your goal, as he said here in verse 14 of the book of Philippians, verse 14 of chapter 3. He says, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then the third thing, we need to delight in the things of God. 
All right, you're down, you've had a rough week, you've had different things happen. It seems like it's never just one thing that happens. Uh, but that's the devil. He's like an MMA fighter. When he hits you and knocks you down, he jumps on you. He doesn't go back to his corner. You understand that. And he'll keep pummeling if he can get away with it. Now, thank God, God stops him every once in a while. We thank the Lord for that. But you'll notice in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. I, you know, I don't like it that churches compromise. I think that's part of our problem in our whole country. We've lost our society because the churches have stopped standing for the truth of God's word. Now, it, the reason why I don't plan on compromising on standards or anything, I believe I got them out of this book. And for me to say that this one thing is not important or that one thing is not important is to say, it, just take the parts of the Bible you want. Man, we don't need that. And it upsets me that churches do that and pastors do that. Uh, that upsets me. But you know what I'm going to rejoice in? People do get saved in those churches. I ought to rejoice in that. There's certain mission boards that are even Baptist mission boards that I wouldn't support. But I thank God that they do have some people saved. I'm going to rejoice in that. Delight in the things of God. That means openly rejoicing. As a matter of fact, if you go to Romans 16, and you don't need to turn there, we won't go through that long list. But Paul gives us a list of people in the church at Rome that he knew and that he administered with, and they had done many good things. And he tells, he tells the people at Rome to give thanks for those people. He talked about a couple that did much in the Lord, uh, others that did good, that taught, that uh, took care of saints, and he mentions that. But you understand, at that particular time, as Paul is writing to the Philippians, uh, he had written before to the church at Rome. Well, now he's been in Rome as a prisoner for a while. And he has to say when he wanted to send somebody back to Philippi, he says of the church, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. And then he says, for all seek their own and not the things which are Jesus Christ. It did not stop him, though, from saying good things about those very people that had disappointed him. Delight in the things of God. Thank God God is always moving. God is always doing some things. I appreciated Brother Webb saying that he thought that he had the number one church in Alabama. Now, that's the only thing where I doubted his veracity. <laughs> I appreciated his attitude about it, though, <laughs> in that that's how he looked at his church. But he has the same things every other good Bible-believing church has and people who have gotten backslidden on God or gotten away from God. When I go out, I tell people the same thing about Madison Baptist Church. That's what I tell churches. I think I pastor the best church in Alabama. And that's the way it ought to be. Not perfect. You see, there's not a church that is perfect in Alabama. Matter of fact, in the entire South, and we know there aren't any in Michigan. Because it's made, they're all made up of people. 
So delight in the things of God. And then, <coughs> pardon me, delete bitterness by forgiveness. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to notice verses 14 and 15 of Hebrews chapter 12. He says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. There are two signs of bitterness. When you're getting bitter towards someone, number one, you question their motives even when they do something right. People about hear about some church that maybe had some problem 10 years ago, and even when they do good today, all, they, all the people can do is still talk bad about it. Well, they're only doing that because. That just tells me you're bitter. Tells me you're bitter, not them. Tells me you're bitter. You need to delete bitterness by forgiveness. You know, it amazes me with what God has chosen to build his church out of. It amazes me that there's not a lot more wrong that's in the church than what there is. But redemption has something to do with that. And when God saves us, he doesn't stop working on us. We're not perfect when we get, he doesn't make us perfect. He makes us perfectly saved, but doesn't make us perfect. We still got the battle to battle this flesh and all the things that are in it. But for some reason, when we hear of a Christian or a preacher or somebody that's done something wrong, they're banned for life from us ever thinking or saying anything good about them. And even when they do something good, we question their motives. Some Sunday school teacher or some deacon, we question their motives. By the way, the second sign of bitterness is you cannot find genuine good things to say about them. It's interesting to me that Paul evidently was wrong about John Mark. Now, he argued against taking John Mark with him and Barnabas on the second missionary journey. But by the time you get to 2 Timothy, he says, bring John Mark. He believed John Mark would be a blessing to him. He's talking very positive about a man that had forsaken them when they were on their first missionary journey. Do you realize people do change? In some cases, they grow up. I mean, I don't want you to raise your hand because you'd make a fool out of yourself. But is, is there anyone here that wouldn't change anything you've ever done since you've been saved? Man, I would. I would. Now, I've not meant to do things wrong. I've tried to do things right. But there are things I'd change that I'd do differently than the way I did them. The thing is, you can't go back and undo them, can you? All you can do is do it differently the next time. What you do here, see, it, but it shows your bitterness when you're not willing to forgive them. 
when you question them, that even when they're trying to do good things, you can't say anything good about them. You see, that's one of the number one problems with our churches. He says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And I've heard Christians say, they don't realize, they don't even realize what they say. They say, but he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Well, neither did you. We're to forgive as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. We didn't deserve it. It's not, a, it's not about deserving it. It's about the fact that we are commanded to forgive. Let me give you one last thing and we'll be done. You need to die to self. need to draw close to the Lord. Determine your goal. Delight in the positive. Delete bitterness by forgiveness. And you need to die to self. Now, we live in such a narcissistic age today. Everything's about us. Now, part of the problem with that stems from the fact that we have taught our kids for the last two generations that everything was about the children. So they have grown up thinking everything is about them. It's amazing. You look at some of these news stories where there'll be a bride and she picks her bridesmaids and asks them to take part. And then she expects them to pay for the wedding and even pay for the honeymoon. What is that about? Who thinks like that? People full of themselves, that's who think like that. But we've had our societies like that. We've taught the kids everything's about you, so mom and dad provided everything for them. But now mom and dad can't afford to pay for all their plans, so now they want their bridesmaids and they want other people to pay for it. No, just don't do as much. No, but I need to get everything. It needs to be a special day. You know, you can make it a special day without having anything like that. Amen. You need to die to self. We are so full of ourselves looking to be offended by people. I do, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, I die daily. He's not asking for people to feel sorry for him. But for him to be everything that God wants him to be, he has to die to all the things that may come his way. Whether they be hurts or whether they be desires and wants. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, a messenger of Satan was sent by the Lord to buffet him. And that thorn in the flesh that he had had troubled him so much, he says, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, then it might depart from me. But he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It doesn't seem fair. Look at all that you suffered for Jesus. And now Jesus won't take away that thorn in the flesh. No, because God resisteth the proud, giveth grace unto the humble. He needed to keep Paul humble so he could continue to use him 
And when Paul heard the reason for why God wasn't going to take it away, he said, fine, I'd rather be used of the Lord. And that's the right attitude. Dr. Lee Robertson, many years ago, was preaching on this I Die Daily. And he talked about a young man who had come to a preacher and he said, Preacher, I, I just don't, I don't get this. I don't understand it. How in the world do you die daily? And the preacher said to him, You know, evangelist so-and-so, and he mentioned a famous preacher's name that had died. He said, You know where he's buried? And he was buried in that city in one of the cemeteries. And he said, I want you to go down to his gravesite." And I want you to say every bad thing you can think of to him. He said, I want you to stand over that grave for several minutes. Make things up bad about him. And I want you to say them all. The young man said, man, I don't know if I can do that. He said, if you want to know about I die daily, if you want to know how to die daily, you've got to do it. So the young man went over to the cemetery. He went to that great preacher's graveside who had seen thousands of people saved. And he just said, you're the sorriest preacher that ever lived. You weren't faithful to the word of God. He made up everything he could think of. And then he went back to see the preacher that he had sought for counsel. The counsel said, good, thank you for doing that. Now, what did he say? He said he didn't say anything. He's dead. That's your first lesson. Now, your second lesson is this. I want you to go back to the graveyard, and I want you to stand over his grave, and I want you to heap every accolade that you could heap upon him right there. I want you to say every good thing that you can think. I don't care. You can rehearse his great revival meetings. You can rehearse famous people that end up getting saved under his ministry. I don't care, but I want you to say every good thing that you can say about him. Well, the young preacher felt better about that, so he went out to the graveside, and he stood over the man's grave, and he just talked about what wonderful messages he preached, his famous messages that he had preached, all the good things that he had done. He came back and told his pastor, he said, well, I've done it. He said, good. What did he say? Well, he didn't say anything. He's dead. He said, that's your second lesson. To die to self, is it really doesn't matter what the people say, you're dead. Doesn't really matter whether or not they like you, you're dead. To die daily is to put aside your feelings. And if people like you, hey, you're dead, big deal. And if people don't like you, you're dead, big deal. You don't carry grudges. Dead people don't carry grudges. Because they're dead. If you're going to die daily, quit making it all about you. Yeah. I know several years ago, there was a preacher out in Arkansas who was going to be holding a big youth rally in Nashville, Tennessee. The ad that was in the Nashville paper said, Come here, America's greatest Youth speaker. And I read that, and I thought, now, this guy was an independent Baptist. And uh, I read that, and I thought, when did we vote on that? Now, 
I wouldn't mind hearing America's greatest youth speaker, but it wasn't that guy. And it wouldn't be anybody who thinks that's what he is. It would be somebody who dies daily. I'm sure that, uh, I don't know if you were there, Brother Popwell, uh, maybe Brother Weeks was, but I'm I'm trying to think of their last names. Uh, There were a couple of brothers who were made millions in insurance, ended up giving a lot of money to several different Christian colleges, and I can't remember their last name. Do you remember? I can't remember it either. But anyway, believe me, they, they were rich. Now, at one time, the one guy wasn't rich at all. As a matter of fact, he was basically down to, to living at the rescue missions. And Dr. Robertson took him under his wing, and he gave him a place to stay for a while. And the guy bounced back, and he became a multi, multi-millionaire and a tremendous prayer warrior. Now, I hadn't been at Tennessee Temple very long, and they had this man preach in chapel. So he got up to speak. Now, like I said, I hadn't been there very long. Here he is speaking on prayer, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, he's not a very good speaker. He's not a very interesting speaker. But by the time it was over, I believed I'd heard from God that God gave me some truths that I needed to hear that challenged my life on prayer. We have a great God. It's not about human ability. It's about God moving. And he takes the foolish and he confounds the wise. He takes the base confounds the things and the weak and confounds the things that are mighty. If he chooses to use me, I love that message from Brother Young the other night. If he chooses to use me, great, but if not, I know he's got somebody better than I that he could replace me with anytime he wanted to. You see, people are going to do you wrong. Yeah, and they'll do you wrong at church. Some on purpose, some never meaning to do you wrong. But that's an opportunity for you to grow, to mature. And you realize some truths about the church, what it is that makes up the church, what God has chosen to make the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. And you say, you know, I am here to glorify him. Even in eating and drinking, my eating and drinking should be to glorify him in every part. And when somebody does me wrong, I'm still here. To glorify him. If I die daily, I can do that. Draw close to the Lord. Determine your goal. Delight in the positive. Delete bitterness by forgiveness. And die daily. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray, Heavenly Father, the Spirit of God would get a hold of our hearts. To look past the hurts that come and the wrongs that we feel have come our way to look past all that and to glorify our dear savior lord please may we not be shocked when people respond to us in a way that we don't think we deserve but may we use it as an opportunity to help somebody else and to glorify god
have your way in hearts tonight. I don't have any doubt in this auditorium and perhaps watching over the internet, there'd be some people who need this tonight. God, I pray that they deal with you, respond in the invitation, and do a great work in hearts and lives. And Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.